0: Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to this week's holiday-themed episode of New Perspectives. I'm your host, Max Huber, and on this episode, Brian and I chat with Noah Colbert over Zoom about his recent piece titled The War on Christmas and the Conservative Covid Calamity. We dive into the history and significance of the way that commentators discuss the changing norms around Christmas in American culture and we also talk about how COVID-19 restrictions are adding a new twist to this annual routine. Additionally, Noah also joins us for another installment of Class Struggle, hosted by Ariana Bennett, to tell us about an upcoming class that he is looking forward to. As always, I recommend going online to the nupoliticalreview.com opinion section to check out Noah's piece for yourself. And without further ado, Let's get into the show. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of New Perspectives. I'm your host, Max Huber. And on this week, Brian and I are talking with Noah Colbert about his recent piece about the War on Christmas and how COVID-19 is impacting that war. Brian, if you wanna go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: Hi, Max, thanks for having me on again. My pronouns are he, him, his. Uh, I'm a poli-sci student and I am another producer here at NewPer. Fantastic, and we're very excited to have Noah on
0: this week. Noah, if you wanna introduce yourself to everyone.
2: Hi, I'm Noah Colbert. I am a first year mathematics and political science major my pronouns are he, him, his, and I am a contributor at Newburgh.
0: Fantastic. Well, we're really glad to have you on the show this week to talk about the war on Christmas. And before we kind of get into your article, which is all about the history of the war on Christmas and how COVID-19 is impacting that, I was hoping you could tell the people listening a little bit about what the war on Christmas is, what it means, and Kind of why you decided to write about it.
2: Well, the War on Christmas is sort of nebulously defined, but a lot of its strength and its allure like comes from the fact that it's nebulously defined because it's like that a lot of people can ascribe different meaning to it and you can it's really hard to refute its existence if you make it that broad. But to like give a broad definition, the war on Christmas is basically the idea that There are powers that be that are waging a war on the faith of Christianity, and specifically the Christmas holiday. And they are trying to make it so that you can't celebrate Christmas, or you can't be jolly, or in the holiday spirit. Basically just taking all the fun and faith out of Christmas. And usually it's tied into an idea that, Christmas is just the first step on a broader attack on Christianity as a whole.
0: So on that abstract level, it's a kind of a a cultural war on religion with Christmas being the kind of the first bastion of Christianity that's under attack by these so-called powers that be, you say. And when we think of the War on Christmas... What are some of the, I guess, the battles that have been fought in the war on Christmas? What are the, the specific things that have raised alarm and garnered national attention when it comes to this war?
2: Well, they're usually things that are fairly trivial, but the fact is that the trivial things are often what make people anxious. Like when you see things being changed in your mundane life as more of an effect when then if you're talking about abstract concepts so it happens in the yearly conversations about like whether a starbucks coffee cup directly references christmas it's whether your cashier tells you happy holidays instead of merry christmas it's about like the degree to which advertising at stores is specifically geared towards christmas and not just the broader holiday season like it's really based on those sort of mundane things that, but for a lot of Americans, are incredibly important.
0: Every year we see a lot of news stories talking about these these holiday controversies. And this is, from what you're explaining, this is the so-called War on Christmas, right? Yes. Okay. And so I take it from your your attitude so far that you do not see the war on Christmas as a legitimate issue. Is that correct?
2: That would be a fair characterization.
0: I'm not surprised. And in, in your opinion, I guess, what does the war on Christmas mean? How do you f- react to the, the, the rhetoric when commentators talk about this topic?
2: Well, my first reaction is usually to roll my eyes I started writing this article in mid-November when obviously it wasn't Christmas season yet, but I had from years past just known that this was going to come up and I was already seeing it in the Thanksgiving rhetoric about whether or not people should go see their families with the rising COVID cases. And once December rolled around, I was, would just like search up Fox News and Christmas and Sure enough, I'd find another segment from, like, last week or, like, the other night about Tucker Carlson or, like, Sean Hannity talking about the war on Christmas. I kind of don't take it seriously partially because it's it's so predictable. But what I do think is worth noting about it is how it plays into this broader tradition among the religious right, because it is a very right-wing phenomenon, of taking specific things, culture wars, and choosing to fight battles about politics on them. This is like Andrew Breitbart used to say that, like, politics is downstream from culture. And this is a very good example of that. You can very easily shape people's politics by getting them interested in how it affects, like, cultural elements. And Christmas and faith as a whole is no different from that.
1: So you suggest that it's a relatively trivial war, but it seems like it may have some more troubling later connotations. I was wondering if you could kind of explore that a little bit.
2: I would definitely agree that I do think this is a phenomenon that is not going away. And while maybe it's the religious right has sort of possibly overplayed their hand with the Christmas element with how repetitive it is, I don't think that the underlying sentiment is going to go away and I think it's something that in our national discourse we need to recognize even if we disagree with it as I do. See, it's indicative of broader ideas in the religious community that they have been marginalized in a certain way and it's been an idea that's been around for like the last half century and it's been exacerbated by like growing acceptance of other religions or The increasing like atheism in the country and just secularization is these have all been things that have sort of alienated people on the right, the religious right specifically, and made them feel like they have been victimized in a certain way. And that, I believe, is why we see certain things like the war on Christmas.
0: Interesting. So what you're saying is throughout the past 50 years, as America culturally has made more attempts to be welcoming to um, Muslims and to non-Christians and also with a growing sense of atheism or the shift away from organized religion, that kind of these broader social phenomenon that have been occurring are now being kind of channeled into this, this specific issue every December about how the culture is treating the Christian religious holiday of Christmas.
2: Yes, I would say that.
0: That's interesting, Noah, and you I know you mentioned that there are some of these broader trends in the culture that have been occurring that are shaping kind of the 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 discourse about the war on Christmas. And I was interested if you could tell us a little bit more about these broader trends in the culture that you see as underlying the the concerns and the, the war on Christmas.
2: So I think I would probably tie it back to how in the last half century, we've seen a pretty big backlash to a lot of certain things. And the religious right has been a big part of this. So in the 60s, we had the civil rights movement, the sexual revolution. And then afterwards, we tend to start to see like a conservative backlash that we was, you could see emphasized in the moral majority or the election of Ronald Reagan. And the religious right often found itself on the opposing end of these, like, left-wing revolutions. Like, the religious right was very much against desegregation of schools. They, like, Bob Jones University, for example, was forced to give up its tax exempt status because it wouldn't allow, like, African-American students in, and then later it wouldn't allow them to white students. And also, the religious right was very much against how sexual taboos and norms and more is were upended in the 60s and 70s by the sexual revolution, and especially with the use of contraception and Roe v. Wade. And but another thing that's kind of been overlooked is how certain things like school prayer and whether or not you could directly reference religion in public schools. Those occurred then. There was a Supreme Court case in Angle Vitali, that where the court ruled that the New York State Board of Regions they violated the establishment clause by having a prayer in there. And those were a lot of those were things that really troubled a lot of conservatives in the religious sphere and it led to a rise of like culture wars and feeling that the country wasn't, couldn't be recognized anymore. And you see a lot of rhetoric about how we were founded as a Christian nation and now we we're becoming secular, even though the U.S. was intentionally founded on principles of separation and church of state, although that was never fully the case. So when this really started to change in the last half century, there were a lot of people who felt left behind. and In a lot of ways, this movement is a backlash to that.
0: When we look at the War on Christmas specifically, what is kind of the the history of that concept in particular and the history of the the rhetoric about it?
2: The War on Christmas, before it was ever deemed that, the idea of specifically focusing the culture war around Christmas can be traced back to the 1920s. Henry Ford would pass around a pamphlet to his workers that had a very anti-Semitic undertone to it where he would claim that the, in the same way that 10 Jewish students can abolish the mention of Christmas and Easter out of a school containing 3,000 Christian pupils, that would be the same way that the overall conspiracy around Jewish people could work. And that sort of anti-Semitic undertone really has kind of carried through to modern day times. In 19... 19- 50s, the John Birch Society sent a a pamphlet around saying that the assault on Christmas was being carried out by UN fanatics and that they are trying to get the American people to worship the UN which is like world global government is a very thinly veiled anti-Semitic trope. So there's always been that underlying fear and so a lot of the Anti-Jewish sentiment comes from just the nature of how Judaism functions in our culture. Like, there's not nearly as many people who are, like, Muslim or who celebrate, like, Kwanzaa. So when a lot of people see that there are being steps made to make the holidays more inclusive, Hanukkah is obviously one of the first ones that they're likely to see. So those kind of war and Christmas sentiment can very easily get tied in with anti Jewish ideas, but the term itself comes from a man named Peter Bimelow, who he was an anti-immigration advocate, and he ran a website in the 90s that is still up today called Vidair.com. and on here he would publish a lot of very racist things and nationalistic rhetoric, but he started, he coined the term war on Christmas, and he would specifically locate the first battlefront here as the department of housing and urban development they started hosting a celebration of holiday traditions and he was also angry at amazon for greeting customers with happy holidays and so they started this trend of specifically looking at the word holiday and taking offense to this in particular for a long time holiday was not seen as a substitute for Christmas. It was just seen as maybe a, an addendum to it. But after this, people started to associate saying holiday instead of Christmas with purging it.
1: So you mentioned that the term was kind of coined in 1999, but it seems like a lot of the progress around the term happened with Fox News contributors such as Bill O'Reilly in the early 2000s. I was curious what your thoughts are on how perhaps this culture war tied into the post-9-11 climate in America, and if there's kind of a correlation there.
2: Yeah, I would definitely say that the rise of Fox News in the wake of 9-11 definitely played a role into this. In 2002, Fox passed CNN as the most watched cable news. So, and a lot of the reason why this happened was because people were getting a lot of more on-the-nose, pro-America, anti-outsider rhetoric from Fox News that a lot of people were looking for after feeling demoralized from the September 11th attacks, And so this made a lot of people susceptible to the war on Christmas. So while Peter Brinwell was the first person to use the term, the actual cultural phenomenon was really shepherded by Fox News, specifically Bill O'Reilly. In 2000. Four, on December 7th, The O'Reilly Factor ran a segment called Christmas Under Siege. And in it, he mentioned a few co- things that had happened that were indicative of a broader trend of what he called secular progressives, who were using Christmas as a way to start their trend of trying to push gay marriage and abortion and drugs down the throats of Americans. And he like mentioned things like in New York, Michael Bloomberg they called the Christmas tree, the holiday tree, or in Denver, religious floats weren't used. And what I found interesting about this was this seems to have started the trend of taking isolated incidents and blowing them completely out of proportion and mischaracterizing them. Because in this case, if you actually looked at what was going on, the religious floats that were excluded were all of them and not just Christianity. The Use of the phrase holiday tree by Michael Bloomberg was true, but also everywhere else in the state of New York, or the city of New York, they were calling it the Christmas tree on the website in the Associated Press story about it, the company that was supplying the crystal star. And I think it's interesting to see this because even though if you look into these cases, it's very easy to find that they're being misrepresented, it doesn't really matter because it's not really based in reality it's based on just a knee-jerk feeling that something is wrong in the country and for a lot of people that's all that's needed
0: that's a very interesting point about the way that this these issues have been used not as kind of subject matters to be analyzed on their own merits but as rhetorical tools that you're you're saying that the a lot of right-wing commentators are using as Part of their rhetorical tactics to raise concerns about other broader things that they see as cultural issues, like um, the legalization of same-sex marriage and the presence of religion in schools and public buildings. So Noah, moving on from I guess the origins of the the war on Christmas and the origins of that term, what are some of the the more recent? battles that have been fought as part of this war say in the past decade or so
2: well so in my piece i kind of try to like section off these two parts of it i would say like like i call that earlier stuff bill o'reilly and like the previous stuff like the ghost of christmas outrage past. and what i would deem like the ghost of christmas outrage present is things that have happened in the last decade where especially during the obama administration and then later into the trump years, how the War on Christmas has been very malleable to cultural issues. So, in 2013, there's a lot of discourse going around about, like, black and white relations, like race relations, and this kind of spills into the War on Christmas. So, the War on Christmas has gone pretty far into the current decade, and I'm pretty sure it will continue.
0: So, now that we've outlined the a little brief history of the war on Christmas. That begs the question, who's winning the war on Christmas? It's 2020, about 100 years after Henry Ford first kind of raised these concerns, as you mentioned. And so who's winning the war on Christmas?
2: Well, it's a very interesting question because, again, like I said overall about the war on Christmas, you can't really answer the question, and that's kind of the point. In 2016, Bill O'Reilly told us that the war on Christmas was won by the good guys, but the insurgents are here. So we've sort of, we're locked in like this Orwellian, like, total war where we've both pulled out, but we still need to be there in some way, and we also are still fighting it, but we did win. You can't answer the question, and that's kind of the point. You, since the conflict was never really based in an actual fact, they comment, the commentators that push it can both say that it's been won, but they can also continue to say that you have to keep fighting it. And the fact that it keeps coming up every year kind of shows that it hasn't really been won, but it's still an effective tool. So we'll keep trotting it out every year.
0: So essentially the war on Christmas, it can never be won because once once the war is over, then the cause is gone. And that that rallying cry goes away, essentially.
2: I guess you could phrase it that way. I would probably say that the cause itself isn't really the Christmas, and that's part of why it can never be won. The cause is a broader culture war, and since you can't win the culture war by getting enough stores to say Merry Christmas and getting enough schools to start doing school prayer, then the issue is never going to really go away.
0: One other point you bring up in your article is about how in 2020 with the COVID-19 pandemic still in full force in America, how that is changing the ways that people can responsibly celebrate Christmas. And your point in the article is that you are somewhat predicting and somewhat explaining how this fact is being used as a talking point in the war on Christmas. So Noah, could you tell us a little bit about what some of the commentators are saying about how COVID-19 gathering restrictions are impacting Christmas and people's ability to celebrate it and how this factors in to the war on Christmas?
2: So this kind of gets into why I was motivated to write the piece because while I was interested in how this thing happens every year, this year there was something that was fairly new and obviously it was COVID-19. So, right now, our country is in a really bad spot. We have, as of the taping, like a, like over 260,000 people dead, and it will be a lot more when we reach the time it gets released. And there are a lot of things that we could be doing to try to stop that, but one of them is going to be restricting gatherings. And in December, obviously, a lot of people are getting together to go celebrate Christmas, and this year, while a lot of people are, like, reasonably concerned about doing that, a lot of people don't want to change their lifestyle. They want to be able to do what they've always done, which is go see their grandma or see their relatives. And they're tying the this reality of dealing with a pandemic and saying that it's simply being used as a front to try to take away Christmas, because liberals have always hated Christmas. And I really wanted to look at how this, like, was just really nothing more than the war on Christmas reinvented for COVID.
1: So essentially, what we're kind of concerned about here is what was a trivial quote-unquote war might actually have some of its first fatalities this year, in a way.
2: Yeah, that would actually be a perfectly good way to put it, considering that this winter is the first full winter that we're going to have when COVID is really a big problem. Obviously it was around last year at this time, but we had barely any cases in America. Now we have like almost a fourth of the world's cases, even though we're not nearly as much of the population.
0: So just to clarify, when it comes to COVID restrictions, is this idea, is it factoring into like a COVID conspiracy narrative about how the disease is fake and just a way to kind of push the, the liberal culture war to attack Christmas. Or do, do people who are making these points not go so far as to say it's a hoax, but to be critical just of the lockdown policies? without denying that the disease is here and causing problems.
2: It's difficult to say. I would, I would be hesitant to characterize the whole thing as entirely people who think that the disease is fake, because that would be unfair. But I would say that there is a significant population among the, the religious right or the anti-lockdown group that is does believe it is fake.
1: I think to kind of jump in and answer your question, Max, A lot of people do actually have some awareness that's a real concern, but in religious communities, speaking as someone who spent some time uh, as a believer myself, there is a belief, A, firstly, that you will be protected. Faith will protect you. If you're meant to get it, you'll get it, but if you're not meant to, well, the good Lord will make sure you're okay. I think that's a very real concern. And then the second part, and I'm almost curious what Noah thinks as part of this war on Christmas is sort of a, acceptable losses narrative that if it has to be done for the faith, it has to be done. But that's me kind of speaking to someone who hasn't examined these communities and these elements of rhetoric as recently.
2: Yeah, it's very it's very much tied into like the what are we willing to lose or the like the cure can be worse than the disease. Back in the back this summer there was a poll I believe that said that I think fifty eight percent of Republicans believed that the amount of COVID death in the country was acceptable. And at that point, we were at, like, I can't remember, we were at well over 100,000. We might have been at, like, 150,000. But overall, I think it's interesting that you bring up, like, the if I get it, I get it elements, because what it reminded me of, I hadn't thought of it before, is, like, how in many communities of faith, they, like, will reject medicine, because they think it interferes with divine will and i guess you could say that this is another manifestation of that
0: well no as we kind of get towards the the close of this week's episode i guess the last thing i kind of want to to pick your brain about is you know as we are approaching the holidays very rapidly is there a, a message that you want to share about the state of christmas and the state of holidays that perhaps is a little bit more uplifting than what we've been talking about so far
2: I would just like to say that, well, if you possibly believe in the war on Christmas, I probably can't change your mind, but I would just like to put forth that there is a lot of evidence that shows that Christmas doesn't face a big threat, and moreover that a lot of people are just as tolerant of Christianity and Christmas as they have been before. A lot of people are just simply not interested in caring about how they get created by grocery store clerks. So so that is the majority of Americans and I would point to how every year we have this phenomenon called the Christmas creep where we're seeing holidays and Christmas be advertised more and more and more and like if we were going around trying to ruin Christmas you'd think that we wouldn't be having it advertised so early that you can like buy eggnog in like September and According to a Gallup poll in 2019, 93% of Americans celebrate Christmas. And now I would point out that not all of those people are celebrating it as a religious holiday, but that is an example of how people are being influenced still by Christian holidays and culture, even if they don't necessarily subscribe to its beliefs.
0: Well, on that note, we're going to wrap up this week's episode of New Perspectives. And please make sure to stick around for this episode's installment of Class Struggle with Ariana Bennett coming up very quickly.
1: Welcome back to our newest installment of Class Struggle, where we here at New Perspectives compete for your extra electives, hosted by me, Ariana Bennett, one of the podcast producers. Noah, thank you so much for joining me today. And can you start by telling our audience a little bit about maybe your most impactful class you've taken here, or since it is only your first semester, maybe a class that you're excited for to take in the future?
2: Thank you. I wanted to talk about a class that I'm taking over the winter break. It's an intercession class called Monumental Nationalism. I was very lucky to be able to get into it, considering last Monday, the courses opened up in the middle of the day, and they were all filled within half an hour. So, I think I was one of the last people to get this one. But I was very interested in it. So, it's about the just general phenomenon of nationalism cropping up around the world in the late 18th century, coming into the 19th century. And b- part of what piqued my interest into it was, I read a book this summer called Age of Anger by an Indian author, Pankaj Mishra, and I would recommend it. And his book was talking a lot about how the resurgence of like reactionary and right-wing politics around the globe can be attributed to very similar forces within countries, and one of those big forces was nationalism. So a lot of countries when people are restless or dealing with uncertainty over, like, modernity, they increasingly turn to nationalism. And it gives a lot of people a coherent way to voice their grievances, although sometimes it has really bad consequences. So I was very interested in taking this course about nationalism, and I can't wait to be in the classroom with
1: that's very cool. I know I saw those fill up fast too. So you were lucky to get a spot and thank you for the class recommendation and we got a bonus book recommendation. So my last question for you is how does this class maybe fit into your degree path or maybe even a career or co-op in the future?
2: So I am a political science major along with mathematics. So I would say it definitely fits into the poli-sci realm. I don't entirely know what it would how it would relate to a co-op but it's certainly a very interesting topic also since i originally started off as just a mathematics major so all my classes this semester were stem related so i think this will be a very good transition into how northeastern has other poli classes
1: wonderful thank you so much noah for joining us
2: thank you
0: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of New Perspectives. I want to thank Noah for joining us on the show to discuss both the history of the war on Christmas and to offer his own insights into this perennial cultural issue. I also want to thank our producers, Brian Grady and Ariana Bennett, for all of their work both on the mics and behind the scenes to bring new perspectives to you. Make sure to check out NUPoliticalReview.com for more from Noah and all of the other great writers contributing to NUPR. If you're a Northeastern student looking to be a guest on the show, feel free to email us at nuprpodcast at gmail.com. We're always looking for new guests, and we'd love to have you on the show. Additionally, if you're interested in publishing an article with NUPR, check out the submission link at the top of nupoliticalreview.com. Thank you so much for listening to New Perspectives this year. It's been a pleasure to make this show and I'm really looking forward to all of the great interviews to come in the new year. Happy holidays and happy new year to everyone. Take care.